and Jacob and Stanley are going to come forth, and they're going to be alternately disciples and people in the crown. We're doing this because the passage is long, and this will make it more interesting. And there might be some things for you to do, too. Okay? When the crowd gets rowdy, I'm going to call on you to help. Okay? So this takes place in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 38. And we've narrowed it down just a little bit. Listen for the word of the Lord to you. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, echoing a belief of the day, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause and effect. No one sinned, causing the man to be born blind. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. Then Jesus bent down. He got some dirt and spit in it. And he rubbed it and made a paste and put it on the blind man's eyes. Then he told him to go wash at the pool of Siloam. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. Buzz. Very good. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, Why, isn't this the man that we knew who sat here and begged? It's him already. No, it's not the same man at all. It just looks like him. So the crowd was saying, This is not the man. It sure looks like him. The formerly blind man said, waving his hands to get their attention. Uh, hello, it's me. It's me, the very one. How did you get your eyes open? Well, a man named Jesus made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. I did what he said, and when I washed, I saw. So where is he? Uh, I don't know. They marched the man to the religious leaders. This day when Jesus made the pace and healed his blindness was the Sabbath. The Pharisees grilled him again on how he came to see. The man said, I'm telling you, he put a clay paste on my eyes and I washed and now I see. There was a split in the religious leaders' ranks. Some said, Well, obviously this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. No, no way. How can a bad man do miraculous? God revealing things like this. They came back at the blind man. You're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? I say this Jesus is a prophet. 
The religious leaders did not believe that the man had been born blind and called his parents to appear. The parents identified their son, but intimidated and fearful, they told the leaders to ask the questions directly to their son. They called the man back a second time, the man who had been blind, and said to them, Give credit to God. We know this man is an imposter. I know nothing about that one way or the other, but I know one thing for sure. I was blind. I now see. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I've told you over and over. You haven't been listening. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you so eager to become his disciples? With that, the religious leaders jumped all over him. Religious leaders... Share your doubts. Really? This is amazing. You claim to know nothing about Jesus, but the fact is, he opened my eyes. It's well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. That someone opened the eyes of a man born blind has never been heard of, ever. If this Jesus didn't come from God, he wouldn't have been able to do this for me. The religious leader said, You're nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? Then they threw the man out into the street. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and went and found him. Jesus asked the man, Do you believe in the Son of Man, the one sent from God? Point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. You're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Yes. Master, I believe. And the man bowed down before Jesus and worshipped him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much for your help, all of you. Let us pray together. Jesus, light of the world, open our eyes to see as God sees us. Jesus Christ, light of the world, show us the path of love in our lives. Jesus Christ, light of the world, light our way so that we might give glad witness to you. For this we pray in his name. Amen. So how many of you got glasses as a child? Are there a few of us in the room? I remember the day vividly. I was in the fifth grade. So without my glasses, hmm, I don't see your faces. I see some dark spots where I think your eyes might be, and about the sixth row, I just see colors. So that day when I got glasses, I was amazed. I could see people's faces in a crowd. I could see the blackboard with the homework on it. I did not know that from a distant you could see individual leaves on the trees. 
I didn't know that you could see a store sign across the parking lot. It was incredible. Light and dark were sharper and more nuanced, and it was literally a revelation to see the world. The story of the man born blind is all about sight and insight, increasing clarity, blindness, and cluelessness. The Gospel of John always operates on at least two levels. There's the story, and then there's the symbolism of John. Everyone except Jesus in this story is blind, and only one person ends up seeing. The story begins with such an unsettling question. Jesus and his entourage pass a man born blind who is begging on the street. Now, I can't imagine what it is to be blind. The children helped us. You wouldn't be able to see, to eat, or to drink. My dad was legally blind without his glasses all the time growing up, and now he's almost blind. He needs someone to put his fork near his plate so he can start trying to find the food. And when he puts a glass to his mouth, he does it very tentatively so that it doesn't spill all over him. And he looks at his pants, and there's light coming in little dots from the window, from the light. And he doesn't know what it is, and he wants to brush it away. It's a terrible position to be in. And for the man begging on the street, it was a desperate position because he couldn't work. He had to depend on those who would give him a coin or a bit of bread. He was just left to an existence of a person without a name, destitute. And as was common in the day, one of the disciples sees the man and says, Whose fault is it? Who sinned, the man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Because in that day, people believed somebody had to sin to end up with a disability or an illness. And of course, we still think that. I remember years ago when I was doing chaplaincy training in a hospital, and a mother was just torn up about her daughter being ill. The daughter had been adopted, and the woman said to me, I guess the biological mother must have sinned for this to happen to my child. And sometimes we ask if something dreadful happens, did I cause this? But Jesus will have none of turning a person's plight into blame. Jesus says, you're asking the wrong questions. We need to be agents of thriving compassion, working for God. And Jesus sees the blind man and us in a way that's hard for us to see. He sees with the eyes of compassion. And then Jesus acts. Now, I wouldn't choose dirt and spit. 
would you? But that image harkens back to the second creation story where God takes the dust of the earth and forms humanity. It's a signal that new creation is happening in the story. So without the man asking for help, without the man having any faith whatsoever, Jesus reaches out to help him. God's grace acts before we do anything to deserve it. So he makes the mud paste and he puts it on the blind man's eyes and he says, go, go down to the pool and and wash your eyes and come back. So somebody guided him. I doubt they had seeing eye dogs like like the children thought. And then what a world would have been open to him. Can you imagine? We would have seen flowers and greens and blues and sky and sunlight. He would have seen the faces of those he loved and the faces of strangers. Gosh. Jesus' miracles are never called that in the Gospel of John. They're called signs. Signs that point to God's will. Signs of what God will finally bring to completion in the time to come. One might expect a grand celebration when he gets back to his house, right? Everybody just, whoo, did you see what happened? But they don't. They don't celebrate. They are confused and agitated, even his family, anxious and skeptical. Seeing is not believing. And you can just imagine this. They're all gathered in a group, and the the formerly blind man, whom I'll call Bob because he needs a name, right? So Bob is coming up, and they're saying, it looks like him. I'm sure it's him. No, it's not like him. And I imagine Bob is standing there going, yoo-hoo, it's me. It's really me. So they can't believe what has happened. I can't believe that he suddenly got his sight. And we might share as their skepticism, might we? And when we get into the story, people are skeptical of Jesus as a teacher, as a healer, as divine. And that's also the world we live in. Every year, the number of people in our society who don't have faith, don't want any faith, and and are skeptical of faith grows by 1%. That population is now 25% of our society. Those who aren't interested, who see faith as irrelevant, who see the institutional church as irrelevant, who don't want a relationship with God. People are so skeptical when the blind man gets healed, they haul him off to the specialist to do a bunch of tests. Now, they didn't have a medical center where they could do, I don't know, what would you do on somebody's eyes? What kind of test? I don't know. And and I imagine somebody brought a cup of water and some of the dirt to analyze that. and, And because they just can't believe it, but there weren't any medical centers, so they, 
dragged the man to the religious experts for a battery of test questions. And you heard the story. What happened to you? How did it happen? Who's this Jesus? The religious leaders, one, can't believe that the man was born blind, two, that the man's account is true, and three, that Jesus is from God. Their view of God is limited by their tradition and by their practice, and they can't see beyond that. My own Presbyterian heritage, which I love, is short-sighted as well. When I was a child, one of our relatives made fun of the Pentecostal church worship service because she didn't believe anybody could be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. She thought it was sort of made up. She was a good Presbyterian and knew that God came to us in quiet, well-ordered worship. Anybody grow up in that tradition? When I got to seminary, it was all about the life of the mind in service of God. And, and I loved much of seminary, and I love our tradition of study. But the experience of God was never mentioned. Nobody talked about how they got called to seminary or the ways that, that God had been active in their life. And certainly I didn't share with anyone that in the middle of the night, one night in college, I woke up and I said to God, okay, I give up. Hardly a call story you want to share. But over the years, I have met well-educated people who pray in tongues. And they talk about the peace and reassurance that brings. And I have talked with people who, in the midst of deep crisis, have known the peace of God flooding their, their whole being. And I've talked with people who have shared a life-changing moment because of God. One was a man who worked in our church who had a drug problem. He'd been chased by the police, and he ended up hiding in his sister's backyard and said, Lord, I can't deal with this anymore. And he woke up in the morning and he didn't crave the drug. And he was clean from then on. Who knew? I found myself pretty envious of them. But every time I've heard those stories, I realize that my narrow view of God has gotten expanded and become more mysterious. And yes, I'm still a person who finds God in the scriptures and in study. It's just the way I'm put together. But God is so much bigger than what we were taught to believe. When the religious leaders just keep pelting away at the blind man with these questions, he's not intimidated. He just stands there and tells his story. I just love that about him. You know, we might sort of want to back off a little bit, not be under the microscope. But he holds to his story. It's so great. 
The man says, I don't know really how it happened. I don't know who Jesus is. All I know is I was blind and now I see. That line, of course, comes from John Newton, a slave trader, who on a terrible Atlantic voyage reads the Bible and becomes convicted that God does not want people in slavery and his life has changed. That's what the line in the hymn refers to. You see, faith is bolstered and enriched when we start sharing our experience of God. There's a lovely man in our congregation who recently had a pretty extensive surgery, very painful surgery. It's been pretty awful. Got into rehab And he felt God nudging him to talk about his faith with the physical therapists and the nurses. And he said nobody was offended. He just felt led by God to do it. And one of the nurses coming in at 5 a.m. in the morning stopped and had this beautiful prayer with him. And what he said is, I feel more like myself now. There was another kind of healing happening in his spirit. And when he told me about it, wow, that was the best part of my week. Faith gets enriched when we start talking about how God has been working in our lives. It's not about having all the right answers. It's about sharing what we know of the goodness of God. Conversely, if we don't share our faith or how God's been enacted in our lives or how wonderful this congregation is, then we leave the image of Christians with what comes out in the media. And what comes out in the media is often the worst portrait of a Christian. A pastor burning the Quran. A demonstration of Christians picketing a soldier's funeral. If we don't share something else, that's the image people have of what it means to be a Christian. A chairperson of our committee here that oversees service and mission ask a colleague to look at our website and see how it could be improved. And she gladly did that, and she had some suggestions. And then she said, I had no idea that Christians helped people in prison or housed the homeless or dealt with root causes of poverty. I had no idea. So if we don't share it, who will? The man, the blind man, is us. As one of the professors here at Union Presbyterian Seminary wrote, we are to be the blind man. 
We're to hold fast and to witness to what we've experienced and to share it with others. And some of you do that, I know. The new members, gosh, a third of them, have come to this church because they were invited or because a neighbor said this is the greatest place on the face of the earth. So we are to be the blind man. And we can only do it by the power of Christ working with us. To God be the glory, now and forever. Amen.